listening to Adjective New Music's podcast, Lexical Tones. I'm your host, Rob McClure. Moderate, polarized, contradictory. Hong Da Chin is a native of Kajang, Malaysia. He is a composer and a Chinese flutist. Chin is currently assistant professor of music theory and composition at Western Illinois University. And besides his musical activities, Chin reads and plays badminton. So, hey man, welcome to the collective, brand new uh, Adjective Collective member. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, glad to have you with us. And uh, we're going to talk about several of your pieces tonight. And I wanted to start out with uh, your piece called A Withering Sunflower with Uneven Legs for Chinese Flute and 14 Musicians. So what are what's the full instrumentation? What are the we know Chinese flute, but what are the 14 musicians accompanying? Uh, let me think. It's the flute slash piccolo, clarinet, saxophone, bass clarinet, one percussionist, one piano, a trumpet player, trombonist, a tuba, violin, viola, cello, double bass. I think I'm missing one. Was there a horn in there? I think there was a horn in there. Okay. Yeah. yeah I When I was listening to it, the tuba... Really, like you, you, you so rarely hear the tuba sound in a chamber ensemble, and I thought that was really cool. So, what, like, usually it in in terms of brass, like, you know, you you see all these large ensembles, and it stops with trombone, maybe a bass trombone, but tuba, like, what kind of pushed you to use tuba? So, this was a piece commissioned by the the BG New Music Ensemble by uh, Chris Dietz, and uh, that was the ensemble instrumentation at that time okay so you see like saxophone tuba in the ensemble yeah and then um i have a very good friend aaron heinz he's like the can i say like the authority of like the excellent techniques in tuba uh-huh. he's a very good tuba player and he knows all of these excellent techniques and then i wrote a piece for him before tuba solo and you hear the tuba like doing all of the glissandi, the crazy glissandi. Yeah. And that was from that piece. Okay. And then in the Chinese flute, you can also do a lot of glissandi. So I thought there was a fitting in the aesthetic. That That's why you hear a lot of tuba in, in that yeah. piece. That's that's so cool. I just recently um, wrote, a, wrote a trio for like low, low brass instruments, tenor trombone, bass trombone, and tuba. And it was my first time writing for tuba as a, you know, more or less solo instrument. It was, uh, you know, I learned a lot. Like you don't think about the tuba. Usually you just think about the tuba in an orchestra or a band or something, just providing a bass line. But it can, it's a, it's a pretty, well, if I, I suppose if you have if you have a great player, it can be a very adept and versatile instrument. Yeah, I think I was writing it like I was writing it for a flute. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because of Aaron Hines. <laughs> That's funny. So the Chinese flute, we're talking about a ditza, correct? Yes. Okay, and uh, this piece has been performed a couple times. Are, are you always the soloist on it? I've always been a soloist on it. Okay. And when did you start playing Dietze? Uh When I was 11. So that's like 22 years ago. And f- kind of for those that are unfamiliar with the instrument, how does a Dietze differ from a traditional flute that 
the Western audiences would be used to. So you're talking about the traditional Western flute, right? The C yeah, flute. C, C flute. C yeah. flute. Um, so these is made of bamboo, and it doesn't have any of the key mechanism like a flute, a Western flute has. So you have to press all of the holes. There are six of them. Commonly, there are six of them. Mm-hmm. You have to press the holes with your bare fingers. So you can already see the problem there. So it's yeah. a little hard to play chromaticism in tune. Mm-hmm. So you need to have a very good technique and a good ear to, to play in tune. And one of the most unique thing about the diesel is um, there's a membrane hole. So you put a membrane on the hole. The hole is between the the mouthpiece and the the body of the dizi. Mm-hmm. So when you play through it, the membrane will vibrate. So it creates this kind of buzziness in in the timbre. Mm-hmm. I think that differs quite significantly from the the Western flute. Yeah, totally. Uh, when I was in China, I I got to write for uh, the. A little giant Chinese chamber orchestra in Taiwan. Oh, nice! And uh, they, I mean, they're fantastic. And they, um, it was part of this uh, program with other Rice University, either current faculty alumni or current composers. And um, they basically just, you know, okay, a couple of you are going to write for instruments and electronics, and a couple of you are going to write for ensemble. I was one of the electronics people, and they were like, what do you want to write for? I was like, Dietze and Shung. That's what I want to do. I knew exactly what I wanted to do right from the beginning. <laughs> so, so yeah. the And l- this brings me to kind of my next question about the Dietze. Um, Can you talk about, you, you mentioned before that on the Dietze, it's very difficult to, uh, you know, kind of play chromatic notes because many of the chromatic notes you have to uh you have to half hold basically right yes and there are there are several different adita is uh is kind of like uh the old um uh the old french horns in that they are there you have a lot of different ditas in different keys right yes that's correct so, so which one were you using for this piece it's the one in c Okay. Yeah, there's there's the we call it the, the medium, the mid-sized Chinese flute. Mm-hmm. So with that, basically, in order to do anything that's kind of fast, because you said that you you have to be you have to hit those notes like half hole these notes like really uh, to to keep them in tune. You have to you have to like really really work at it. So a lot of this piece is actually really fast and i'm wondering if you can talk about the kind of challenge of writing for the ditza when you are when the instrument itself is kind of almost locked in a tonal context and you with this piece are writing in a post-tonal context mm. all right so there are some challenges uh, obviously so when I'm writing for the Chinese flute and Western instrument, because the, the structure of them are very different, the construction of the, the instrument, and 
of course, that that influences the intonation as well. So I've played the Chinese flute in a, a Western ensemble quite quite a bit, mm-hmm. and every time there's like an intonation issue, you know, I was like I was being gazed on, like people looked at me, they stared at me. Right. It's <laughs> <laughs> so embarrassing every time, and I think I have very good ears. You know, I think I I'm very in tune in playing the Chinese flute, but sometimes you know I still get sure you know out of tune intonation yeah. so there's there's like the biggest challenge of writing mm-hmm. of combining a Chinese flute or Chinese instrument with Western instrument it's probably the biggest uh, challenge and in terms of the the fast passages in the in the flute music I I have written because I know the instrument very well so I can write it in a very idiomatic way mm-hmm. for example the the sunflower piece the pitch structure is is actually based on the idiomatic uh, the idiomacy in of, of the chinese dizi right that's why it it plays so you i can play so fast and so well on on it just because yeah. i know the instrument very well and everything else like the the glissandi in the Western ensemble and the pitch structure and all of the convers- the back and forth conversations, they are all based on you know the the pitch structure and and how um just how well the the notes would fit in the Chinese playing that the Chinese flute. That's, so, that's how I'm able to play so fast. Right. So are you kind of when you're when you're devising kind of a harmonic structure for this piece are you saying well these are the notes i have available to me to play fast passages because there are some slow passages in this piece where you kind of get into more glissandi and more chromatic notes and even even some kind of microtonal you know shifts be- between notes but in the fast passages are you kind of saying to yourself well okay on this on this instrument, I have these notes that are available to me that I can play fast. With all the with the other fourteen instruments, I can then fill out my harmonic language. Or are you kind of keeping it pretty, keeping them pretty close together in terms uh, of harmonic language? I keep them pretty close together. Okay. And also, if there are some notes in the harmonic structure that the Chinese flute couldn't play couldn't fit well in the, the idiomatic writing then i will assign those notes to the ensemble <laughs> right yeah it's that's, like, that's the trick yeah i mean in in that you know kind of distinction between the traditional instrument versus the you know the the western instrument or, or whatever you want to call it i kind of see your your contradictory adjective coming into play there you know, we have we have this instrument that can do this thing. We have all these other instruments that can do that thing, and you're kind of meshing them together to create this thing that uh, is bigger than the sum of its parts. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad you are saying that. I'm glad you are <laughs> you are feeling that. Yeah, I think it's kind of one of the things that I I would like to achieve in my um um my music compositions. I I think I think there's it's important to combine um, instruments of different cultures into one one entity. You know, especially when I'm the when I'm the person who can play the instrument. You know, and when I was given the chance to write uh, music for 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 them, you know, mm-hmm. 
So what is this what is this piece about? You know, where does the the title is very evocative and I have no idea what it means. So <laughs> I think everyone asked that question. So I came up with the music first without the title. Mm-hmm. So I I think I compose better when I have the title first. I'm not sure about you. Uh, so I, I got this commission. I only had a month to finish it. <laughs> I'm sure you have been there. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I had to write the music very, very quickly without thinking about the context and everything. I was just thinking, thinking about um, how I can write for the Chinese flute in a, in a very idiomatic way. Right. And for the ensemble as well. So I came up with uh, the pitch structure like very quickly. And then I just wrote the music first couple measures of it and when I like them I just keep expanding it yes and then I just kept writing and then when I'm done with the piece I was like how what should I title this piece and then I was just like <laughs> it's, it's kind of hard it took me like two weeks to think about the title I'm, I'm almost, a big I'm sounds a big, like you- Sounds like you almost wrote the piece faster than you came up with the title. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm a big title guy. So I was like looking back at the music, you know, that's the best place where you could look look to be inspired to give a title to a to a piece. And I was looking at there are a lot of um meter changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's why uneven legs. <laughs> that's okay. why that. And the harmonic language, most of them are pretty bright. There are a lot of like there are a lot of thirds in it. Mm-hmm. So I see that as sunflower. It's like positive, you know, optimistic, yeah. and withering. So that's contradictory to sunflower, right? Uh, the optimism and all of that is. Um, there's also a sense of sadness in the piece as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I have like different words that I combine into one title. That's how I came up with the title. Awesome. <laughs> it's kind of well, like the, the three adjectives that I gave you to describe yeah. myself. Right. <laughs> uh, one is called polarized, right? Yeah. So actually I was going to the... Because it's a, I, had, I had to give you a one-word adjective. Mm-hmm. So I was trying to express like the, you know, the, the Tai Chi symbol. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, in the... The very dark place, there's some light. In the right. very bright place, there's some darkness. Yeah. So there's always a balance in between the, the opposites. Right. The, pol- yeah. the pol- polarized. Mm-hmm. That's why that ad- adjective came from. <laughs> yeah. And it, I mean, it, it, it it's beautifully represents this piece, I think. Um, so uh, who are the performers we're going to hear on this recording i know it's been done the piece has been done a couple times so which uh recording are we going to hear uh is the the performance at ccm it's a ccm i think it's called ccm new music ensemble or contemporary music ensemble it was conducted by uh aikai pong or aikai pang he's a conductor a faculty at ccm and you're and you're the dita soloist yes yeah as always. <laughs> As always. <laughs> another, another challenge for writing for uh, uh, Chinese instruments or any of the, the, the non-Western instruments is that it's hard to find a, a performer. You, know, uh, who is, you, you are absolutely right. <laughs> especially in this country. 
Yeah. Well, even in like China or Taiwan or, or Hong Kong or Malaysia, it's kind of hard to find a traditional instrumentalist who are willing to play contemporary music. Yeah, with, yeah. With so you're, much chromaticism. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. That was that was something um you know the the piece that I wrote for Little Giant, they did it a they did it a number of times, but then taking it back to China, like I kind of had to search far and wide to to find a Dita player who was really willing to put in the time to to do this piece and uh and of course since i've moved back to the states it's like well <laughs> maybe maybe that piece will get done again maybe it won't who knows well there's this one right here i know i'm glad i'm talking to <laughs> you half, the, half of the ensemble <laughs> yeah you just have to find a shung player which I is know. harder than finding a decent player i think that will be harder <laughs> definitely so let's listen to this piece this is a withering sunflower with uneven legs
So let's talk about your piece Snowflakes for full orchestra. I have to say, I love this opening. This is such a cool opening and something that I've never really heard done with the orchestra. It's so colorful. And the listener, you'll just have to find out when we listen to it later on in the podcast. But where did this idea come from? Basically, you have pizzicato strings um uh glockenspiel and is there a uh, celeste in there as well yes correct so where did that idea come from it came from this composer this italian composer uh, niccolo castiglioni i hope i pronounced it right uh i listened to some of his music 
and he really likes to use the high register instrumentation. So I was inspired by that. I, when I listen to uh, music written by other composers, I I like to capture just that one moment. Yeah. And get inspired by it. That's where the the texture came from. And are these the the kind of um, I mean, the listener you're gonna hear it when when you hear it. But they they are. Are they fully rhythmically notated, or is there some aleatoric rhythmic process happening there? They are, they are all written out. Oh, man. <laughs> That's well, great. Well, it's basically three against four against five. Yeah, yeah. In the, in the, in the beginning, the beginning gesture. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it just, they, they come out like these little almost crystalline clusters. You know, and it's so it's it's very bright and it's so are you using the entire string section or are you using kind of soloists from the string section? It's the entire string section. Wow. It sounds so intimate, you know. Thanks. It's it sounds it it really and you know, and maybe that were different if we, if I was in the hall listening to it versus listening to a recording. But at least on the recording, it really sounds like it. It is so like you can hear a lot of the the um, kind of tact uh, the the how do you, how do you, how do you say this? You you get a very tactile sense from the strings. You know, you can hear like the small sounds of the plucking and it, 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 it's, it's just a really beautiful moment. I think, um, for, for this, for this piece, like kind of what, you know, you, you said with the last piece that you like to come up with the title first, this title is snowflakes. Is that what kind of drove the piece in many ways? Yes. Yeah. Especially the texture of the piece. Mm -hmm. And there's a, there's a narrative in the piece too. So you first, you get, some snow, you know, not very big. And eventually you get into this blizzard. <laughs> and then when I, when I was writing this piece, it was 2013. It's like one of the worst winters ever. And that was my first time in Bowling Green, my first semester. <laughs> yeah, and I got to experience all of, all of that. The worst winter in the worst place to experience winter. <laughs> <laughs> and it was my first time in Bowling Green. And Bowling Green was the smallest place I've ever lived in. Mm-hmm. So I, I felt all of the, you know, the remoteness, the loneliness, you know, the coldness, all, all of that. Yeah. And I wrote a piece actually in the, in the beginning of fall. So it's about August before the winter hit us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't know that winter was, was going to be that bad. <laughs> did you go back and revise it after <laughs> after no, the not. winter? <laughs> it's kind of like a deja vu, you know? Yeah. I wrote yeah. it and it happened. Oh, I, I think I jinxed it. Mm-hmm. But anyway, there's a narrative to the to the structure of the music. It's like you are, you are experiencing the snow and the blizzard musically. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you, you, you said you start off with these kind of snowflake gestures at the beginning, and then there's this kind of low, low voice melodic idea that starts to kind of push the piece to, to a climax. In terms of, you know, pitch structure or, or whatever you're doing with the, with the snowflakes, are, is, are the, the, uh, the material you're using for the snowflakes and then the melodic material you're using later, are those related in some way? Or, yes, they are, they are related. 
they are from the same pitch structure. Okay. Yeah. And it seem it seems like with the melodic idea, you are are you kind of gradually unfolding that melody? Uh, when I was writing the piece, I I didn't think about that. Maybe maybe it did happen somehow, but it wasn't in my in my thought when I was writing okay. it. Yeah, I was just kind of uh, I I had a big structure, and I was just kind of like re- reusing and recycling the the mm-hmm. all of the pitches where where they make sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think that definitely comes through because there is there is a cohesive sound to this piece. After the climax, there's this kind of melodic collapse with the basses and the violins. And I was thinking because, you know, because Snowflakes were a uh, a departure point uh, for at least for a texture, I'm wondering this this kind of collapse where the it, it almost seems like the basses and the violins are just moving in perfect contrary motion. I don't know if that's true, but that's kind of what it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Were were shapes like just uh, geometric shapes or, or shapes in general, just a kind of general artistic starting point for you? When I was writing the piece, I didn't think much of shapes in uh, in structuring the the piece. Not really. But at that moment, I I see it as a, a resolution of the of the blizzard of the climax, mm-hmm. and then I was trying to fit some kind of consonant intervals into it so you hear some fifth some some octave so they were like they were like purposely there so it wasn't really it wasn't really inspired by shape or geometry or by any sense mm-hmm. okay <laughs> <laughs> didn't mean to disappoint you yeah i know <laughs> it just it just seemed like with with snowflake you know the snowflake is each snowflake is different which is it seemed like it I think it would have been so easy in that beginning uh material to just like kind of you you probably work so hard at getting these these gestures like kind of rhythmically correct it'd be so easy to just use like kind of reuse them but since every snowflake is by definition unique I you probably weren't able to do that if you're if you're going off of like the snowflake idea yeah do do be they would have a lot of different versions of the yeah. the rhythmic structure in 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 a piece. <laughs> See that and and that kind of thing, that kind of thing. I I when I asked you if it was fully notated, I have so much. I have a lot of respect and admiration for people who can go, get to that meticulous level to create something that kind of it sounds like it. On one hand, it could be absolutely notated, but it also sounds like it could have just as easily been you know, uh, kind of either box notation or aleatoric notation where, you know, the players are coming up with the rhythms and they just ha- so happen to fit in those kind of little clusters, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I just have a lot of respect for people who go the, uh, you know, go the extra mile to notate everything is like, no, this is what I want because I've been on both sides of that, you know, on, on both sides of that. And I just like, it's easier to do the aleatoric thing, but it's, I think it's so much more satisfying, but ultimately like frustrating in some ways to write out, you mm-hmm. know, the, the specific rhythmic gestures. For me, it's easier to write out. Really? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Because I feel like I have much, I have more control over it. 
Mm-hmm. Because like for like graphic not- notation or box notation, you have to be like really specific, right? Yeah. To convey your idea or be specific in words, like expl- explanation of what you want. And I'm I'm not very good in that in words. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm better in writing things out and right, right, right. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. So, uh, this was uh, this this won something at BG. What did it win? Yeah, the BGSU Concerto Competition. Is this a kind of concerto for orchestra? <laughs> no. <laughs> how does that, how does it work? Then <laughs> it doesn't make sense, right? It doesn't make sense for no. composition. But there's like a, a some categories for the in, for the instruments, mm-hmm. so they have to play concerto for the competition. So we basically just use the same name for for composers. Yes. Okay. It doesn't have to be you do you don't have to write a concerto to enter the competition. Oh, that's awesome! Just a piece. Just a piece. Yeah. Well, great. And that and is is it the BGSU Philharmonia that's playing it? That's what we're gonna hear. Yes, yeah. During the 2014 New Music Festival. Okay. Who's conducting? Brady Meyer. Okay. He he's now in Houston, I think. Or Katie. Oh, really? Or yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> All of this Houston connection. Yeah, Houston Bowling Green is it's like a <laughs> a super highway between the two, apparently. <laughs> yeah. So let's listen to this piece. This is Snowflakes for Orchestra. Thank you. 
And then we'll talk about your last piece. Again, really evocative title, and it's One Gallon of Tears for Two Flutes. So what should we take away from this title to kind of inform our listening as we go into the piece? So the piece is inspired by by tears flowing down of our cheeks. Mm-hmm. So in the piece, you hear a lot of descending melodic lines. Uh, microtonally uh, with with two flutes and it's kind of a a sad piece because I wrote the piece to commemorate the, all of the victims of the the MH370 flight mm-hmm. that went uh, disappeared on 2014 the March of 2014 and it still hasn't been found it has been wow, almost five that- years it was that long ago. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. Yes. So it's kind of sentimental for me mm-hmm. because I'm from Malaysia and you don't really see much of Malaysia in the news 
ever before that event. And all of a sudden, like overnight, Malaysia became like the the attention of the entire world. And and it's not uh it's not through good news. No, it's through bad news. Yeah. <laughs> and I was in the United States, I went to restaurants and I saw the TV, you know, everyone is talking about it. You know, it's just very it's just just very sad for me to see my country like experiencing that uh that dilemma. And yeah. also how the Malaysian government back then like handled the the situation. I think it was handled pretty poorly. Yeah, so that that's one thing. And the piece itself is also inspired by the Lamento motive. Mm-hmm. Uh commonly found in legalist music. Well, he didn't come up with it, but he used it very commonly in almost all of his music. Mm-hmm. And I, I really like that idea. I think that idea could really express someone's emotion very effectively, especially mine, because I got connected to legalist music uh, because of that. I think he can write um a very logical intellectual music with a lot of emotion emotion in it right yeah i would definitely agree with that yeah yeah so that's what the the listeners can take away just imagine there are one gallon of of tears just like flowing out so you said descending scales are kind of the primary material in this piece and they're they're sometimes chromatic sometimes microtonal how did you go about moving through those kind of different pitch systems, you know, in terms of controlling register, you know, obviously with a flute, you can only go down for so, for so long, and then you have to kind of jump back up or, and I thought you, you kind of controlled the pitch space very well. So did you have, was that just done intuitively or did you have something kind of informing those choices? So it's based on the, the instrument again, flute. Mm -hmm. And there's one way to play um, some microtones in the flute where you you just play like a, a chromatic scale down without holding the B the B key mm-hmm. so you just lift this off and you just play it so when I was like warming up one day and I realized I could create a descending microtonal scale just by doing that it's very idiomatic mm, okay and I was like I could use this in my in my next piece, you know, and then I could incorporate quarter tones in it and some semitones in it to create uh, this piece. So that's how that's how it is for the when I skip certain notes. Most of the times, it's because of the idiomatic idiomatic writing for the food. So it sounds like I mean in your in the first piece we talked about and also in this piece it sounds like a lot of the uh, a lot of musical ideas for you or rather uh, compositional ideas for you come from actually having your hands on the instrument you know yeah that's very true has that always has that always been the case for you or you know has it sounds like you've been playing flute for a long you know a long time yeah so yeah. so maybe there isn't maybe there isn't a distinction between you kind of being a performer who composes or being a composer who performs 
you're you're like almost completely in the middle they they inform each other so much yeah that's what i've been trying trying to do not giving up one or another and right yeah so when what when i'm writing for flute related uh music of of course you know i i can use my instrument i, I can just like write very idiomatic music but i'm not sure if i can speak the same about the, the rest of the instruments I still have to like work with the the instrumentalist too, you know, like Aaron Hines to write a idiomatic right, tuba yeah. piece. Mm-hmm. You know, there are still some instruments that I I'm not very confident confident in mm-hmm. you know writing for them. So I tend to write very conservatively too. But for the flute, like one gallon of tears, yeah, I know this can work for sure. Right. So yeah. I just I just I just go for it. And it's very idiomatic too. It's not hard at all. It sounds hard, but it's not hard at all. In the beginning of the piece, you uh, you kind of do this technique that I, I really liked of articulating one instrument's entrance with an attack of the other or articulating one instrument's exit with kind of a short attack. It kind of reminds me of like an orchestration technique where you, you know, where you like, snap pits in the bases to articulate the attack of the cellos or something you know mm-hmm. what is this what is this term uh what is like a contrapunto writing for me or like a fugue especially yeah. in this piece there are like two lines one mm-hmm. comes in first and then the other one joins it's kind of like there are two um melodies mm-hmm. like happening at the same time contra contrapuntally they are pretty right. independent and yet they, they complement each other yeah, and there's this one. I could think of it as maybe maybe hawketing. Mm-hmm. That that could be one, uh, one element to 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 think about, and I really like to do that to like you know have a hint before a note before a happening of a note or a gesture. And Ligeti likes to do that quite a bit too. Maybe you know, I'm inspired by him. To have to have a hint before the before the note. That's interesting. It's like an introduction. Can you relate that to because I I watched um, on your website you have that uh, you have kind of a, a like an interview video that you did while you oh. were at BG, you know, and I watched that and you were and you were playing Dietze the whole time and I noticed that you know in the particular piece you were you were playing it had a lot of you know like uh, grace notes. And mm-hmm. I'm just wondering if maybe maybe you, it wasn't even consciously done, but does do you think that kind of informs that desire to have like a hint before the note, you know, to have mm-hmm. that to have that little introduction to the note, whether however short or small it is? Maybe, and maybe this comes from the the Chinese flute playing, because in Chinese music, when when a uh, Traditional Chinese instrumentalists, when they see a melodic line, they wouldn't they wouldn't just play straight from the line. Right. They would play. They would decorate. They would embellish, embellish the melodic line with a lot of plethora of grace notes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like one melody, maybe. That's how you would sing it, right? Mm-hmm. They could add. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's not written out in the score. Mm-hmm. And every every performer has their own own interpretation of the mm-hmm. embellishments that they use <laughs> that's interesting maybe that yeah. came up, that came up from that maybe 
Yeah. Well, cool. Who are the performers we're going to hear on this recording? They are Christian Dollar Rodas and Yeji Oh.
Okay. Well, cool. Um, so we've, uh, we're to the last question, the question that I ask all the composers and artists who are on the podcast, and that is, how did you come to music? I think we've already kind of covered some of it, actually, but we'll, we'll see if there's a different answer. How did you come to music as something that you wanted to pursue for your life? I find music is, is, a, is a channel for me to express myself. I think that's, same, that's pretty much the same for, for, for everyone. I feel like music is very personal to me. Um, it's like I'm not a very good uh, speaker, right? So I'm not good in words, but through music, I can really express myself comfortably. Mm-hmm. I think that's very important. That makes me who I who I am uh, today. It's a short answer. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect. That's great. Did you also ask me how did I get into music? Did um, you also ask that too? That was that was part of the question, but it doesn't. Oh, okay. Like we we kind of talked about you started Dita at eleven, so there was just a little story behind that. If you sure, let's hear it. So, um, so I was fortunate enough to go to this uh, Chinese school in Malaysia. Mm-hmm. Not really Chinese, but like chi- government, half government and half private. Okay. So I got to study um, Chinese. Uh, and I got to expose myself to more Chinese cultural stuff. And um, I joined the Chinese orchestra in my high school. That's the first time I, I encountered an, an instrument. And my brother was in it first, and he he played the erhu, he still plays. Mm-hmm. And then I was introduced into the orchestra, and then my sister... Uh, joined with me as well. She she plays the the pipa, mm-hmm. and I play the the dizi. <laughs> oh man, you guys have a band. <laughs> we we had a trio actually. Yeah, trio. we won like one award or something. But nice. And uh, that's how I got into music, into into dizi. And then after that, I just got really obsessed with it. I practiced like eight hours a day. Oh my god! I drove my family nuts. <laughs> as you can tell, as you know, like Chinese flutes are very loud with the membrane. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> they are very loud. loud. Yeah, my neighbors could hear me. You know, anyone who drove by could hear me. Yeah, especially if you're doing the, uh, you know, if you're switching back and forth between some of the other smaller dita, uh, those can get pretty piercing too. <laughs> Yeah. Pretty yeah. pretty high. Yeah. Very high. Yeah. <laughs> and then um and then I met my teacher in Malaysia. Uh his name is Yi Kaho. Mm-hmm. And then he invited me to study with him and he plays the dizi and he also plays the flute, the western flute. And that's how I got into western flute. And then he's also a composer and that's how I got into music composition. Oh man. Yeah. And now I'm doing more um, composing than, than performing. You know? So there's a transition from the Chinese flute you know, to the Western flute and then to uh, music, music composition. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. So before we go, can you tell everyone where uh, they can find more of your music, where they could connect with you online, stuff like that? Yeah, uh, you can hear more of my music. Uh, at, my, at my website is hongdachin.com I'm going to spell it out H-O-N-G-D-A-C-H-I-N dot C-O-M and uh, 
You can find me on Facebook as well. I, I probably I would just add, you know, people who add me as friends. If mm-hmm. they are not, if their their background don't look suspicious, <laughs> especially when we have mutual friends, then probably I will add you. Yeah. So don't have a suspicious background. I don't know what that means to you, but I certainly know what it means to me. So. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Are you are you on Twitter or Instagram or anything like that? No, I'm not. Oh, okay. One I have a, I have a Twitter account. <laughs> I have a Twitter account, but I I have only used it once. Okay. Fair but, enough. But I also have an email address. Uh, it's hongda.chin at gmail.com. That you can contact me. With. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for doing this. And welcome to the collective. Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks for listening. As always, if you want to find out more about adjective new music or lexical tones, please go to our website, www.adjectivenewmusic.com.